Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Give him a hand clap of praise this morning. Isn't he wonderful? If you have your Bible, if you'll join me in the gospel according to Luke, and if you'll find chapter number 19, chapter number 19. Now, you guys have got to participate this morning, all right? I'm a little bit tired. A couple of trips getting up at 3 a.m. And, and heading up to Rolling Fork serving with the body of Christ. I'm, uh, you can't just stare at me this morning, all right? You've got to help me. Can we do that? Will y'all be willing to do that? Uh, yes, be willing. And uh, I want to say this to you. Y'all got enough light? Everybody good? Yes, a little more if we bump the lights just a tad more. Um, I want to say to you, look at there, more. I'm telling you, look at that. They're like instant back there, aren't they? Huh? Thank y'all for that. We got a great team, by the way. Um, if you're our guest today, you'll notice on the chair back in front of you, one of those chair pockets, you'll see one of these little QR codes. If you would take just a second right now, we're not going to get you to raise your hand and come pass the card to you and signal you out. But if you see that, will you pull it off that and, and scan that for us and give us a little information, whatever you want us to have, but we want to be able to minister to you. Um, pray for you and, and things like that. So if you will, check that out and, and let us know so we'll have a better idea of how we can. That's what the church is for, is to minister to you and pray for you and encourage you along the way. Um, as you do that, a couple of things before we get started. First of all, if you are on social media, I want to encourage you for just a moment. We're going to do what I call social media takeover, and I want to encourage you to do two things with your phone. Turn the volume off on the side so that your ringer, when we hear that uh, turkey call, uh, they're usually ducks, but this turkey, I noticed a lot of turkeys here lately. And so uh, turn that, if you will, turn your volume off so the word, your neighborhood's not interrupted by your, uh, if somebody texts you or calls you. And then the other thing is turn the volume down on the side, but then if you would go on social media and simply be a missionary from your chair. We've learned that we can reach people while we're in this room out here in the middle of nowhere. And so you, you wouldn't believe the testimonies of people you've reached that you don't even know about in different states and even different, different parts of the, of the world. So if you would just simply pray something like this, as you're getting on Facebook or what have you, and you would pray something like this, Lord Jesus, would you put this in front of who needs to see it? And then believe your prayer is not just an action, but, it, but it's, it, God hears you. And then hit the share button and trust that God's going to put it in front of who needs to see it, okay? We're gonna, we got a message today eh, we need to hear. People need to hear. we got to get it out. And so uh, I pray that you would engage in that today, okay? Uh, the next thing is, for my young people in the room, where are my children at in the room? Raise your hand if you're a young person in the room today. Hallelujah. I got some drawings from the early worship, man, I'm telling you. Uh, I, and, and if y'all will get those to me, I'll, I wanna, I'll hold them up from time to time. But if you're looking, we're going to look at uh, Jesus and the, and the donkey, and we're gonna, we'll find out some more about that as we go along. But, but the children in the room, I need you to help me uh, a couple of ways. One of those is to make sure who brought you stays awake, all right? Because we have a tendency when we get still and it's cool and comfortable, we'll doze off. So listen, don't knock him over, all right? Rosie, all right? Don't knock him all the way over if he dozes off. Just touch him until they look at you. When they look at you, just give them that little smile that you do, you know? And they'll know they've dozed off and they missed something, all right? So keep them awake. But, but also, if you would, draw me a picture based on what you hear today. We're going to hear about Jesus sending two of his disciples ahead of him into Jerusalem. He's, he's making his way to Jerusalem. The scripture says that he sets his face steadfast. What that means is he plots a chart, all right, a path, and he won't let anything deter him. His timing is, is he's on a schedule, and he's going to get there. Nobody's going to stop him. And so he's, he's headed to sa save the souls of mankind. But along the way, he sends two of his disciples ahead of him, and he tells them there's a donkey there, and they're going to untie it. So maybe you'll draw a picture of them untying the donkey. I don't know. There are going to be people in the, in the scene today that take their uh, coats off and lay them on the ground for the donkey to walk over. Maybe you draw that out. As he walks over, there's going to be people waving branches, palm branches, why we call today Palm Sunday. They're going to wave those palm branches. There's going to be people shouting. You're going to hear all kinds of things. So I pray you might even draw different scenes. 
One kid brought me a, look like a cartoon, man. They had scene one, scene two. And so uh, you listen and draw what it is that you hear, okay? But, but I'm counting on you because you're young and you can do two things at once. Keep them awake and draw me something based on what you hear, all right? Uh, let's dive into the message this morning, all right? Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse number 28. I didn't tell you a verse, verse 28. Okay, as you've made your way there, again, uh, we call today Palm Sunday because this was the, the day in which Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and he rode in on a donkey and not on a war horse and a chariot, and he didn't go in with uh, swords and shields. And let me just tell you, I am so thankful because he won a bigger victory, and you're going to understand it before we leave, okay? Now, um, as he's going in, we're looking at a book, a letter in, this, in the Scriptures called Luke, right? The Gospel according to Luke. Luke wrote it. Luke was a physician by trade. He wrote it to a young man. Does anybody know that young man's name? Look at y'all, boy. You keep coming faithfully. You're learning your Bible. I love that. And uh, by the way, if you don't come faithfully, I want to challenge you. If you want to grow in the knowledge of your Bible and grow in uh, encouragement from the, from the people of God, and I challenge you, man, be here when the doors are open so that you can learn, all right? So Theopolis was the young man, and he wrote the letter for the purpose of giving a detailed account or testimony of the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's what we have in this, in this letter that's called the gospel according to Luke. Now, remember the word gospel means the good news. And as he's written this letter, supporting the good news of Jesus, uh, we see here in chapter number, and I just want to kind of give you a little overview. We started wide, now we're working narrow. Uh, Jesus finds a man or comes across a man named Zacchaeus. You all remember the story of Zacchaeus climbing up the sycamore tree? And it's because Zacchaeus was a really tall man, right? No, he was a wee little man. And so he climbed a tree, and as Jesus is coming in, uh, he sees him. And Jesus says, and by the way, uh, aren't you thankful that Jesus sees uh, small people and big people and, and everybody in between. And he says, now, you come on. And he went to his house and visited with him. But then after that, in chapter 19, Jesus tells a parable. Now, a parable is a story, an earthly story that has heavenly meaning. And in this earthly story, he tells this parable about uh, somebody, a, an owner, who, a person who, of, of authority who gives of some money away called minas, all right? And not minnows, minas, all right? And they gave those away, and he gave them proportionately a uh, certain amount to this one, a little bit less to this one, a little bit less to this one. And those people that he gave that to gave him when he came back a return on his investment. Y'all tracking with me? Give me a little head knowledge. So Jesus is telling the story, a little head knowledge, right? This is yes, all right, and this is no, all right. So he, he's, he's, he's instructing through this parable. And the point he's making is that God is making an investment in mankind. He's, he's going into Jerusalem to make the greatest investment that's ever made. And he's going to make an investment, and he is going to give us the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and the, and the church to help us walk the Christian life. But he expects return on his investment. To one, he had, they gave 10, came back, he had 10 more, he had five, gave five more. One, he only gave one. And when he came back to that one, he said, I hid it in a handkerchief in my pocket. And he said, depart from me. And to the others, he said, well done, good servant. So he expects a return on the investment. In other words, he didn't save you for you just to sit at home and not be a part of what God wants to do in the world, all right? And that's to seek and save that which is lost. So as he's done that, now we move from that parable into the next scene. And Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem on this day, one, one week ahead of the resurrection. And so we're going to find out some awesome things that happen. Now I'm going to encourage you. You feel like we started wide? And we worked our way down narrow. Why do we do that? Here's why. Context is king in biblical interpretation. 
You can make a verse say anything you want, but not if you take wide and start wide and work, work down there, and it'll make sense, okay? So if you would now, in honor of reading God's Word, would you stand to your feet with me, okay? And let's read Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse number 28. We may have to get a smile wave in here this morning, y'all. That's your serious, that's your serious face, or what have we got going on this morning? Y'all tired? Anybody tired this morning? All right, we got to shake that off. We may have to do some, some side straddle hops or something in here this morning. Um, I want you to come on engaged because I'm telling you, I need you to help me this morning, okay? So, and by the way, I'm not a, y'all know me well enough. If you're our guest, you'll find out I'm not preaching down to you. I'm in this thing with you. And so I need you to come on, let's do it together, okay? Now, beginning in verse number 28. <clears throat> when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples. And this is what he said to them. Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied and on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they responded back, the Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he now was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen. And this is what they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city. Jesus did. And what did he do? Y'all help me. Yes. Wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your But now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. And level you and your children within you all the way to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone standing upon another. Because, all right, because why? You did not know the time of your visitation. All right, let's pause for a brief word of prayer. I invite you to bow with me for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your gospel yet again. And Lord, I don't know if I'll get another opportunity, if this will be my last chance to preach your gospel, but I pray I would preach it as such. I thank you for the first worship gathering. Lord, how it was an amazing time and people were all over the place and you moved in our hearts and drew people to yourself. I pray you do it again. Now, as you help me, Lord, to preach, that's what I'm asking you to do. Would you give me that fresh anointing and wind of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that would overwhelm my tired body, my simple mind, and my less than average ordinary person. Lord, would you help me now put on display that you're a great and mighty God that you can take some nobody from nowhere and preach with authority and clarity. And as you do that through me, Father, do it to me. Preach to my heart today. I need to hear your word. I need, Father, I pray you preach to every one of us. And, Lord, would you tune our ears to hear that still, small voice that transforms us. So now may it be as if we're the only ones in the room, just us and you, and you're talking to your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, you be seated. Now, when I say talking to your children, understand I'm not assuming everybody within the sound of my voice has been born again. So I'm talking obviously to those who have been saved and also to those who might be saved today. You know this, you know this potential when you came in? 
that somebody walked in on the sidewalk beside you, in front of you or behind you that was lost and didn't know God, and they may walk out on the same sidewalk born again, a child of God. I hope you woke up thinking about that and praying toward that, okay? Now, rewinding back to the beginning here in verse number 28, there's some things I want to share with you. The title of our message is Hope for Freedom. Hope for Freedom. Do you know that freedom comes in all shapes and sizes? How many of you know that? Say amen. Uh, There can be freedom from addiction. It can be freedom from uh, being bound by emotional chains. It can be freedom from being pinned down. I think oftentimes about uh, when I was a child, we had a station wagon. Y'all remember those? And the back seat, not the back back, that's what we always fall over. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all are smiling. You know what I'm talking about? You had the back, but then you had the back back, right? And it was the back seat. The seats in there would fold down flat. And oftentimes when I was little, my sisters, y'all, can y'all believe this? They would put me in the floorboard and fold the seat down on it and sit on top of that. And people wonder why I'm claustrophobic now. Um, but, man, you're talking about, you know, you can, you're not strong enough too little to get out of there. And, uh, and, and But what you find out is that freedom comes in a lot. But, boy, freedom feels good, doesn't it? When you come out of something, whether it be a tight space, whether it be a difficult struggle, whether it be with depression or anxiety, whether it be with a substance, when you come free of something, whether it be a toxic relationship, uh, nobody amen right there. And when you come free of that, I'm telling you, it, is, it just feels good, doesn't it? You, it's like you breathe again or maybe for the first time. I was looking back through my text messages between me and one of my dear brothers, uh, not brother in Christ, in, in Rolling Fork on Friday evening. And I'd send him a message. I said, hey, are y'all, are y'all hunkered down? Are you, are, you, are you prepared? And he said, no, what do you mean? And so I sent him some screenshots of what was right on their heels. And, and uh, he hadn't gotten those yet. And I said, he said, what are they saying? I told him, tornado hit it right for y'all. And, he said, well, um, I, ha- so I hear it's maybe getting bad out to the, to the west of us. I said, yeah, and it's coming directly at you. And so we didn't talk a little bit uh, after that. And I found out later that he had called his sister. And when he called his sister, he tells her, you need to get in the car and you need to go north as fast as you can. Well, as they're on the phone, a tree falls on the house about a foot away from her and crushes the house and pins her in where she can't get out, not by the tree, but she just can't get out of the house. There's no way out. Until later when her brother finally cuts his way and makes his way to her house, and they think when they, they, when they pull up, they think she's surely dead because of the way the house looks and everything looks. But no, in fact, she was on the inside, but she was trapped. She was imprisoned in her own home. And they cut in there and got her out of there. And she said, man, you're talking about feeling good when you get out of there and find freedom, right, and be able to breathe. And that is a wonderful rescue. But I want to tell you today about a greater rescue and a greater freedom that can be found in a person, not in a set of rules of do's and don'ts. It won't be found in how many times you go to church or don't. It's found in a person, and his name, if you, if you found that freedom and you know his name, would you say his name with me, his name? Jesus. Jesus. Boy, it sounds good coming off about 550 tongues, doesn't it? Let's say his name again, would you? His name is Jesus. Jesus. So let's dive in. The title of the message is Hope for Freedom, okay? And the main idea of what we just read, we read 28 to 44, those verses here in Luke 19. And I want to share with you what is the main idea of that passage. If I was to put that into one phrase, one sentence, here would it be, we can have hope because Jesus Christ provides freedom, okay? We can have hope because Jesus Christ provides, what does he provide? Freedom, so we can have hope. By the way, when you meet people, when you get into a hopeless situation, life becomes not worth living. But if you have just a little tiny bit of hope, it changes everything. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. If you think it's hopeless in a relationship, it's miserable. When you think that life is hopeless, it's miserable. When finances seem hopeless, it's miserable. But boy, if you can just get a little glimmer of light to give you a little hope, it changes the game, doesn't it? And so today I want to tell you about hope for freedom and the fact that we can find hope, we can have hope because Jesus Christ provides 
freedom, all right? Now, as I say that this week, there's a devotional that I uh, spent a little time putting together, and, and as I did that, there's one for every day of the week this week, and if you'll go on my Facebook page or the church Facebook page, you'll find a PDF that you can download. You can print it if you want to print it, or you can just follow it along on your phone, but I would love for all of us to do it together, okay? Some of y'all have told me at your places of business where you work, the nursing home and different places, you're going to get a group of nurses, a group of administrators, a group of people together, and y'all are going to do it together. And I say thank you for that, all right? Let's all try to focus our heart and mind around what Jesus, what was going on in the life of Jesus these last eight days, all right, from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. And so please be a part of gathering. And some of you got, I think we passed out about 150 printed copies of that for those that don't do digital. So I pray that you will engage in that every single day. Why? We can have hope. We can have hope. Because Jesus Christ provides freedom, okay? Now, the four things I want to say to you today from this particular passage. Number one in your notes, all right, is simply this. Number one, we can have hope because Jesus Christ is ultimate authority. Now, let me explain what I mean as you write. We can have hope because Jesus is ultimate authority. Have you ever been on a scene, found yourself in a location or a job or a task where everybody was a chief and there were no Indians? Huh? And have you ever found yourself in a, some of y'all are like, yes, absolutely, it was this morning. No, uh, uh, I'm, I'm only joking. You found yourself in a situation where, where now let me, let, me, let me rephrase that and ask you this question. Have you ever found yourself in a position where there are nothing but Indians and you needed a chief? Huh? And sometimes you find yourself in a spot where nobody on the place has the answers. Nobody on the place has the resources. Nobody on the place, and I'm just going to tell you something. When you find yourself in a place where nobody has any authority or power, you're, you're, in a, you're in a difficult place to operate, I'm telling you. And so in this life, you and I can have hope because Jesus has ultimate authority. Let me show it with you, all right? Pick up at verse number 28. So he said this. Jesus did. He said, he went on, he went on ahead, going on up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany in the Mount of Olivet, he sent two of his disciples. So he picks two of them, and he says in verse number 30, uh, go ahead into the village opposite of you, on the other side of where you are. And he says, opposite of you, where you enter, you will find a colt tied. So when you come in, look over this way, and you'll find a colt of a donkey tied up. Loose it and bring it here. Now, have you ever met anybody that ever told you that, listen, when you get over there, uh, you're going to find this, and it's going to be like that, or when you meet this person, they're going to be like this, and they're going to do that. And yet, when you got there, or when you got to know the person, you found out that the one who gave you the information obviously didn't have ultimate authority because it was wrong, huh? They tell you, turn by the big oak tree, and there's 50 oak trees, and you're thinking, boy, that was a lot of help, wasn't it? And you meet somebody, and they tell you that this person is mean, and they're this, and they're that. And then you give them a chance to get to know them, and you find out they really aren't that way, or maybe they've got some difficult things going on in their life. And so the point I'm saying to you is simply this. A life is difficult and challenging when nobody on the scene has ultimate Authority that can't give you a solid truth that you can hang your hat on, the, heart of, the, hat, the hat of your soul, and Jesus is that person. So listen to what he says. You're going to go in this town, and when you get in this town, on the opposite side of the entrance, there's going to be a donkey tied up. Now, can you see a couple of us walking, and we're walking down through there, Jimmy, and we say, look at that. There is that doggone donkey he said it was going to be right where he said it was going to be. And the thing's tied up. I'm just talking about how I'm just trying to live it out loud, right? I'm walking down the road. Hey, there it is. And, and so someone said to me one time, why do you think they went ahead and went into the town? Are you kidding me? They saw him. They saw Legion, the man full of demons where nobody could help, run to Jesus and bow down and worship him. Yeah, yeah, that's why they did. They saw him step out of the, uh, on the storm and walk on the sea. Uh, that's why they did. They, they saw him say to the wind and waves, peace be still, and everything lay flat. 
So, yeah, they went into the city. They're like, yeah, let's go, man. He said, it's going to be a donkey. It's going to be a donkey. And that's what I want to say to you today. If he said it, you can bank on it because he has ultimate authority. Nothing, listen, there's no variables that can change. He can't tell a lie. Nothing will sneak up on him. There'll never be a time that he is not God. I want you to write that somewhere. There'll never be a time. Now, your circumstances will tell you something different, and the enemy will whisper a lie to you and say, where is God, and is God God, and what does God even care, like the disciples in the storm when they woke up Jesus, and we have this way of falling to the lies, but the truth is, there's a God, Jesus has ultimate authority. You can have hope because whatever he says, he'll do. And whatever he says will be accomplished. So we have hope because Jesus is, y'all help me, what is he? Ultimate authority. You can put in parentheses and write this in all capital letters, God. He's God. Jesus Christ is God. So I'm reading along here in verse 29. And it came to pass, they go into the city, and they're walking, the two of them leave, and they go into the village, and Jesus says, there's going to be a donkey tied. And if anybody asks you why you are loosing it, uh, you just tell them that the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way, and they found it. Listen to this. Verse 32, they found it, y'all help me, just, now we got to get together, y'all. Y'all ready? We're going to try that again. Okay, here we go. So those who were sent went their way and they found it exactly like he said. Just like he said, to the detail, was this donkey tied up. So as they were loosing the colt, uh-oh, the owner show up. Now, can you imagine for just a minute if I said, listen, you go on out in the parking lot, and uh, Terry Hickman, he's got his, his vehicles out there, and just go ahead, uh, Ben, go ahead and get in it, and, and don't worry about, you know, just undo the door or whatever you got to do to get in it. And you imagine uh, Miss Val and Miss Terry walking up on you out there, and you're getting in their vehicle, Ben, and, and I'm telling you what's going to happen. They might tase you if they got a taser on. I don't know. But, but they, they ain't no telling what may happen. But can you imagine? Like, first of all, put yourself there. You're untying this, this animal that's very valuable. It's transportation, and they're working on the knot. And by the way, I hate fooling with knots, don't you? Huh? Anybody? And they're fooling with this knot, and, and the owners walk up. Hey, why are you doing that? Why are you fooling with, why are you fooling with my transportation? Why are you fooling with, why are you in time? And for your answer to be, can you imagine if Ben then said uh, to Mr. Terry, well, the Lord just has need of it. Now, I don't know. Mr. Terry's very humble and very kind man. He might just say, go ahead. But I'm just telling you, chances are likely, Huh? That if somebody goes out in the parking lot and starts breaking in your car and starts taking it and say, the Lord has need of it, they're going to call the law enforcement on them. You with me? And, and the, the Lord's going to have need to get them out of jail after that, you know. Uh, but understand, this, this happened. And just like he said, what, what are the, what's the point of all these little nuances, every detail of what he said coming to pass? He's just continuing to show them that he's ultimate authority. You see, they had met a many a men before. They'd met man. They knew what man looked like. Uh, they weren't confused about what a man was. Biology makes that clear. They'd been around men. And so they knew that Jesus was a man, but then they'd never been around a, a man who was also God. And so as hard as they tried, they just couldn't wrap their mind around ultimate authority. And I'm just telling you something here today. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, you just can't wrap your mind around physically, the natural mind around the God-man. You just, it doesn't make, just, you just can't wrap your mind around so he's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And he says, go get the donkey. And listen, they're starting to figure it out. They just head on. And they must have been believing it in the moment because when the owner says, what are you doing? Oh, here's what we're going to say. Ready? The Lord has need of it. Right? And between verse 34 and 35, nobody gets hit, tased, shot, stabbed. The donkey goes with them. Everything's fine. Why? 
Because Jesus is ultimate authority. You see, he's already gone ahead of you and me, and all the details are already worked out, even though you can't see them in the moment. Every step of the journey that you and I walk here in this life is a journey of faith. It's one by faith. We'll have to listen to what he says. We'll have to dive into his word. We'll have to soak it in, and then we'll have to go live it out, even when it doesn't make sense, and trust that he is ultimate. Somebody help me. Authority. The reason I have hope is because somebody in the room does have authority. It ain't me, and it ain't you, and he's always got authority wherever I find myself. And I'm okay because Jesus is ultimate. I have hope because Jesus is ultimate authority, right? I want to say this to you this morning before I move on. He is in control of every second. Did you know that? And 60 seconds make up a minute. He's in control of every minute. Every minute, 60 of those make up an hour. And every, every hour he's in control of, and every hour combined makes a day, and every day forms a week, and every week forms a month, and every month forms a year. And there's never a space in time where he is not fully God. Aren't you glad? While you slept last night, you know what he was doing? Raining on high. You just tucked in and went to sleep, and he was, he was God. And when you woke up, he was God. You know this, before time was created? Because right now we're in a place where time is needed to kind of organize things. But before we were created, there was no time. He emplaced here now, time and space conundrum. We're stuck here, but there's coming a time when it's all said and done, time will be no more. And he was before time, he's in time, and he's after time. Aren't you thankful? You can have hope. You can have hope. There's somebody bigger than Dr. Phil. There's somebody bigger. Listen to me. There's somebody bigger than your doctor who's practicing medicine. There's somebody bigger than the judge who's sitting on the throne in some little courtroom in some little city that thinks they're the, you know, king of the world. There is somebody who's an ultimate authority all the time. And that gives me great hope today, aren't you? Doesn't, doesn't it, you? And, and, and it, listen, somebody said, did you, did you get to see the president? I said, I don't have hope in the president. I kept cooking pancakes. I didn't fool I didn't hop on those side by side. I don't care about, you know, listen to me now. I'm about to say something that's going to shock you. You ready? Now, look, young people, this is your cue. Check mom and dad because if they hear half this, they'll, they won't be back. Okay? Now, I'm a Biden supporter. You with me? I didn't say his policies. I didn't say his beliefs. But he is the one who's in position of president of these United States. You know what the Scripture tells me as a son of God, what I'm supposed to do? Support him how? In prayer. I don't make jokes about him. I don't talk down about him. And this is a little side note, by the way. This is a sermon in the sermon. I just pray for him. I'm a supporter. I pray that God touches his heart. I pray that God clears up his mind. I pray that God puts people around him. I pray that he gets set free. I pray that he really knows Jesus. I don't know whether he does or doesn't. I got some ideas. But I'm praying that he comes to know Jesus, that he knows Jesus as Savior and Lord. So I'm a, I'm a supporter in Jesus' name, all right, of whoever it is that fills the office of president, all right? And so we have this hope in Jesus. There is an ultimate authority. There is, and his name is Jesus, so I have hope. I'm trying to move on, but it's really hard because he's the hope of all the world. And the reason is he can't be overthrown. He'll never be rivaled. He's not equal. There's no threat that I may wake up sometime down the road and him not be Lord. I can rest easy and have hope. In a world, let me make this statement. I'll move on to number two. In a world full of sifting sand, would you agree with this statement? Jesus Christ can be trusted. In a world of sinking sand, Jesus Christ can be trusted. Number two in your notes. And there's just four, all right? Number two, Jesus. So we're talking about hope here. And the title of the message is Hope for Freedom. And we said the main idea is that we can have hope. The only reason we can't have hope is that Jesus provides that freedom. Now, we're building a case here. We've, first, we're learning that we can have hope because Jesus is what? Oh, I wish I wouldn't mumble with me. Ultimate authority, all right? Number two, Jesus provides hope and should be praised. Did you know that when your hope is threatened, you'll stop praising? You notice that about me and you? 
You know what, when our hope is threatened, you know what we go to start doing instead of praising? We complain. You ever complain? Anybody complain on the way here this morning? I love that right there. Anybody complain in the building while you're here this morning? And so it's easy for us to complain, isn't it? Real easy. Um, But when our hope is settled in Jesus, I want to say when our hope is settled in Jesus, our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, It's difficult to complain. It's hard. Man, we were, I wish we could tell you the number of faces we saw with people, tears flowing in their, in their cheeks because their stuff was gone, you know. But they would all say, well, we've got hope because Jesus kept us alive or God kept us alive. And you saw hope, the evidence of hope. Jesus provides hope and should be praised. Look at verse 36. So they go untie the donkey, the colt of the donkey, and they just walk off with it because Jesus is in control. Verse 36, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the ground. Do you all see the scene? They're taking their jackets off, their coats off, their robes off, laying them on the ground. Now, that's a little bit peculiar. Would you, you agree with that? Now, we're staring at each other awkwardly. Let me ask you again. Does taking your, clothes, your outer clothes off, putting them on the road for somebody to drive their vehicle over, strike you as a little bit awkward? Anybody besides me? Awkward scene, man. Uh, you know, they're taking, uh, well, let me ask you this way. Is, any, is anybody in your life you honor enough that you're going to go out today and lay your shirt in front of their vehicle and let them ride over it? No. We can't even imagine that level of honor. If you honored some, can you imagine if you honored somebody so much, you were so excited for somebody being there, you had so much hope in someone, their presence, that you would take your jacket off, your shirt off, lay it on the ground for their vehicle to ride over. Wow. And they're getting excited, man. They're starting to raise their voices. It says they get loud. They're, they're, they're cutting palm branches. That's why we call it palm branches. And they, can you see them? I can hear them shouting, and I can see them waving those palm branches and laying their coats on the ground, and one's on top of the donkey, and Jesus is on top of that coat, and there's coats on the I'm telling you, they're paving the road with clothes. Are you kidding me? And they're rejoicing and getting loud, and, well, let's just see what happens. And so it's a fever pitch, man. It's like, it's like the most wonderful scene. And it says in verse 37, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God. Uh-oh, watch this, with a... Loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Now, why were they praising him? It says because of the mighty works they had seen. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Jesus take his hands and touch a leper who nobody else would touch and heal him on the spot. They saw him speak to uh, the paralytic son and that son be healed. They saw him do things that their minds couldn't rationalize. And so when he's coming into town, in their mind, they think he's coming into town to deliver the Jews from Roman oppression. And they are fully convinced they have hope he can do it. And so they're praising him. Now, their their hope and what they want is a little short-sighted. I'll get to that in a minute. But can I just tell you today that what he accomplished as he rode into town, not on a war horse to make war, but on a donkey to make peace. As he went to the cross and settled the debt that we all owed, he rode in humbly according to the prophecies in the Old Testament as he went in and paid the price for my freedom and for years. I'm telling you, we can have hope. Jesus provides hope and should be praised. So watch what happens. They begin to shout. All right, they're shouting. Look at with me in verse number 38. And this is what they said. Blessed is the king who comes, how? In the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him, and they called to Jesus. Getting loud, man. There's so many people. Now, remember, they didn't have speakers and amplifiers and all that stuff. They're getting loud with what? Their voices. Did you hear it a minute ago whenever Ryan, the praise team, sort of backed off on the instruments and said, just with your voices, how loud? 
It was to hear people sing. And they were getting loud, man. And they were rejoicing. Do you know the things you get rejo- you rejoice about, you get loud about? Do y'all know that? Tina will tell me sometimes you're yelling. You're yelling. And you get excited about things. And I've seen grandmothers do it. I was uh, looking on Facebook, I think it was last night once we got home, and there was a video of a parent and a, a husband, a wife, and then I heard the little grandma in the, in the background just shouting to the top of her lungs because the kid, man, I'm telling you, that t-ball game was tied up two to two. And, no, I think it was coach pitch. And that kid hit that, hit that ball, and uh, would you believe that they won a championship because they, they walked it all because their kid hit the winning run? And five years from now, nobody on the field will have any recollection of it. It'll be blurry for the ones who played in the game. 20 years from now, they won't even remember. 50 years from now, no record. 1,000 years from now, and they got fired up and excited. I'm telling you, what you place value in, you'll get loud about. It's, it is part of the human psyche. So watch what happens. They're getting loud. And then you got this group of people called the Pharisees, the, the religious crowd. And here's what they say in verse 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, teacher. Now, now can you hear him? says, some of the Pharisees. Now, you know, I took more than one. Come on, just use a little logic. It's loud. It's loud. They're waving branches. They're putting clothes in front of them. The donkey's walking. The donkey's making donkey sounds. And no, I'm not going to model that for you. And people are praising him. I mean, they're shouting, blessed be the name of the Lord. And they're fired up, man. And it's loud. And so one of them goes, you know, he's like, I'm looking around. He's no longer in control. And he's getting a little uncomfortable because people are spontaneously worshiping with their voices loud. They're singing loud. And, he's, you know, somewhere along the line, we believe that quiet equals reverent. Some of you in here. You think quiet equals reverent. And listen to me. In certain circumstances, it does. But somewhere along the lines, I die, you know, we, we, we got duped and believed that, you know, worshiping the Lord is supposed to be quiet with our hands. You ever been somewhere to gather as a church and it's like people are at a funeral? I remember Madison going with me one time, and I won't say the church, but we went in together, and she said, she was about seven. She said, Daddy, what's wrong with these people? And I started looking around. I was like, what are you talking about, baby? She said, nobody's smiling. They're all sad, and some of them look mad. And I, don't, I said, well, just sometimes people, you know, I don't, I, how did I explain it? She said, I thought we're supposed to be happy, you know. So one of them says, Jesus, Jesus, they can't get his attention. And so it says, says, some of the Pharisees, it took more than one. They had to get some voices together. They had to keep saying, teacher, rabbi, teacher, 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 hey, Jesus. And Jesus finally looks at him, and amongst all the sound on the back of the donkey, and he says, and they say to him, you rebuke your disciples. Isn't it just like man to try to tell God what to do? Isn't it just like man to tell God what, what praise song ought to sound like? We are so preferential in our choosing of songs, and we'll wrap it up into uh, th- th- this is the, the best music, right? We ought to go to the old stuff. We ought to go to the middle-aged stuff. We ought to go to the new stuff. And I had somebody tell me not, not too many years ago, can't we sing any contemporary songs? I'm thinking, Lord, nobody's happy. I heard a quote from a pastor that said, a lady walked up to him and said, you know, pastor, I really did not enjoy worship today. And he said, good, it wasn't about you. (laughs) Now, we have to think about that, don't we? Because what we ought to ask ourselves is why I'm unsettled is because God doesn't like this or because I don't like this. And so they didn't like it. And they said, Jesus, you're going to have to. Now, the word rebuke means a strong correction. 
So they were trying to tell God, who's riding humbly on a donkey to go pay for our sins through a terrible death. They're trying to tell him what he's supposed to do. Be careful that you're not telling God what to do. And Jesus says back to them, now y'all read with me, and they're saying, blessed be the king, and they're shouting, comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, by the way, when you cross-reference some of this, you'll find out they're also shouting, Hosanna, but we'll get to that in a minute. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, okay? And they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered them as he, they got his attention, and, and he says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, even the stones would immediately cry out. Now, you've heard me say this probably to you, sick of hearing it, but I, I say it all the time, a dumb rock ain't going to take my place. Because, I'm telling you, Jesus provides hope and should be praised. A dumb rock has not experienced what it's like to be in a pit of miry clay, down in a deep, dark pit in despair, and to have the hand of God reach down and pull you out of that and put your feet on the solid rock. A rock can still know what that's like. A rock don't know what it's like to be uh, having hopelessness in life or to be drowning, trying to drown it in a bottle of alcohol that just won't drown it and keep swimming. Uh, A rock can't talk about what it's like to have messed its life up completely and to have somebody graciously reach down and restore that life and give you a purpose for living. A rock doesn't know what that's like, has no idea about having your sins forgiven, have God put his spirit in. Rock don't know what it's like to have a spirit of God come take residence in you and direct your path and change. A rock don't know what it's like to look at who he used to be and who he is today. Come on, I wish somebody was smiling in the building. Maybe somebody in here saved. Somebody ought to be testifying a little bit right now about the reason you ought to be praising him no matter what your circumstances are telling you. Now, unless you hadn't experienced it. And if you hadn't experienced it, the good news is it's not too late. If all you've got is church attendance, and if all you've got is a bunch of ideas of how things should be done, and all you have is a behavior modification for people, you wish people would behave right, and you've never experienced the salvation found in a personal relationship with Jesus, I beg you, don't take another breath. Invite him to be Lord right now. You don't have to come down an invitation time, walk down an aisle. Right now, listening out there, listening to the podcast somewhere down the road or right here in this room, you might just simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again, and I want you to come and be Lord of my life. So, ain't no rock going to sing about that when I can. Amen? I love to sing and people ask you, what is wrong with you, you know? Nothing. Let me tell you what's been made right about me. Uh, Jesus provides hope. So let me move on if I can. Uh, I want to make this statement to you. Ready? Y'all look up at me for just a minute. Uh, He's already given you reason to praise him. Somebody here needs to hear that. You you think, well, I got to wait and see how this circuit, how this, I've been praying about the situation at home you know, my parents are fighting, they're not getting along, they're maybe getting divorced, and so you're waiting to praise him to see what the outcome of the situation is, and that's not it. There's some of you in here, and, and you're not, life's been difficult, and it's difficult because fallen people live in a fallen world. Of course, what do you expect? We're not home yet. And because of that, you've ceased to praise him because you've let the enemy lie through your circumstances that God's not good, and he's not present, and he's not loving, you, and he's not working in your life. And because of that, you've forgotten what he's already done. Let me tell you something. If he doesn't do one more good thing for me, he's already done too much. And it is not something he's trying to prove to you. He already has. He's made the case that he loves you. And he's not willing to spare any cost to purchase you and to bring you into a relationship with himself. Now, that's an amazing God. Somebody ought to shout amen to that one. So we find out he has given us great reason to praise him, and I've adopted this philosophy, and nobody's going to stop me. Nobody's going to stop me. Number three, and there's only four. Number three, look in verse number 41. Verse 41, we find out we can have hope. First, we said because Jesus is ultimate authority. Then we said we can have 
Uh, Jesus provides hope, so we ought to praise him. But thirdly, we can have hope because Jesus loves all of us. Now, I need you to catch the end of that phrase. Jesus loves which of us? All of us. And some of us, well, let me make it this way. All of us can be unlovable at times. How many of you know somebody that's hard to love? Raise your hand if you know somebody that's hard to love, all right? I, I live with somebody that is, I'm telling you, it's so hard to love them. And I have to pray a lot, you know. I know y'all feeling sorry for me right now. And it's a difficult journey, you know, trying to love people that are unlovable. And the suckers looking me back in the eyes every time I look in the mirror. I'm te- y'all think I'm joking. This week, this week, I went to my truck. I, from my office, I went to my truck the third trip without my keys. That happened this week. I came back in, and there was different ones were talking to me, and I, I didn't want to talk, and I said, I'm sick of fooling with me, but I can't get away from me. But God always desires to be with me, and he loves all of us. I don't understand it. He loves all of us. Let me read and show you where I see it. Verse number 41. So you picture the scene. He's walking on the donkey. They're laying the clothes down. Boom, 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 boom. Maybe you're drawing right now the donkey that was tied up. Maybe now you're, you're drawing another scene where they're laying clothes down in a line, paving the road with their clothes. Maybe you got the people drawing, waving there, and everybody's shouting, blessed be the name of the Lord, Hosanna, which means save now. You got to get that, save now. And everything's at a fever pitch, man. It's like, it's like I'm telling you, it's the perfect scene. Everybody's happy. Everybody's rejoicing. There's dancing and festivals going down to the sea. I mean, it's a wonderful time except for one person. There's one person who's not having the time of his life. And I want to read it for you. It's in verse 41. Y'all with me? Verse 41. You read it. Just put your eyes on it in your Bible there and read along with me. Now, as he, meaning Jesus, drew near, he saw the city. So as he's getting a little closer, he can see the city. And what did Jesus do? As everybody else is shouting and dancing and singing and waving palm branches, laying their clothes down and saying, Hosanna, blessed be there, talking about him, blessed be the one. Because he says, what, what, is it, what happens? Jesus did what? Well, now you've heard me give my spill on crying before. I hate to cry. Anybody else hate to cry in the room? Raise your hand. Surely there's not anybody here that loves to cry, that just likes to sit up and cry and weep and I'm not saying you don't cry a lot. I'm just saying I don't know anybody that just says, you know what, I hope I get to cry about six times today. (laughs) It's weird, isn't it? Um, Your face gets red. Your pressure sort of builds. You know, you cry whenever it happens. You hope nobody's looking at you, try to turn your face. If you're a dude, you act like nothing's wrong, but, you know, you're fighting it. And it's just terrible. Your nose stops up. What what is, I got to get with some of my medical people. What happens there that your nose stops up? And you're crying. And here Jesus is. I want you to see him. Everybody's celebrating. There's a major party going on. Palm Sunday, triumphal entry. And as they're walking, everybody's shouting and praising. Jesus is crying. Now I want you to see him there on that donkey. You can hear, the, you can hear those hooves hitting that road, you know, muffled, though, because it's on top of clothes. And he's looking at the people in the city, and you can see those tears, those hot, salty tears rolling down his cheeks. I know if I'd have been on the scene, I'd have been like, man, what's wrong with him? I mean, this is the time. He's going into Jerusalem, man. We're about, to, we're about to be set free of oppression. And Jesus, and then, and then Jesus does something very interesting. He starts talking out loud. Not to anybody, but just talking out loud. You ever talk out loud not to anybody, but just talking out loud? Any of y'all crazy like me? 
I just sometimes talk out loud, you know. I guess they say it's to yourself, but I really just sometimes am just saying something. Here's what he does. Look at verse 42. If you had known, if you had known, even you. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just pause right there. He's, he's, he's saying that they're missing something. They've not figured something out. Before I move on, and this will be number four, I want you to see that we can have hope. Listen, we, Jesus provides hope and should be praised, but it's because he loves all of us, Okay. Now, verse 42 and on down, we're just going to sort of think about it for a minute. What they're shouting is Hosanna, and they're shouting, um, they're hoping for his salvation. I'll give you a verse to write down your notes there. Still under number, uh, actually moving on now to, to number, yeah, we're in number three. We have hope because we, Jesus loves all of us. Listen, listen to John 12, 12 and 13, okay? Now, what were the people shouting? Remember, when you, when you compare the two gospels, they, they're shouting Hosanna. Here, Luke only records, blessed be the name of the Lord, but they had a word in front of that. That was the word Hosanna. I told you what that word meant. Do you remember? Save when? So not in eternity, but save when? Now. Okay, save now. So the next day, a great multitude, John 12, 12 and 13, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees, and they're, they're going out to meet him and waving those, and here's what they're crying. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? So we get another word that's actually in their announcement, and you begin to tie up the picture. They are hoping that Jesus is going to save them when? Now. Why are they so excited? They have hope. But their hope is not in eternal salvation. Their hope is in a salvation from the Roman oppression. They have hope, but it's a temporary hope. They have hope in Jesus, but it's different than what you're expecting. Let, let me just sort of flesh this thing out a little bit. So it says they, they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? But here's what they should have been saying. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to do our will, our way, and at our time. See, oftentimes we relate all of our praise and all of our worship to if he will perform what we want him to perform when we want him to perform it. The healing, the financial blessing, the relationship fix, the right man in my life, the right woman in my life. And if I just had this, then everything would be all right. Here's what we translate that to. If I just had this, God would be good. And I just want to encourage you today and remind you that that is a lie from the enemy, and God has already proven that he is what? He's already proven he's good. He's a good, good father. He spared no cost. He paid for our salvation. And so they cried Hosanna, and what they really were saying is we want you to do what we want you to do when we want you to do it. Don't we sometimes approach him like a genie in a bottle? Now, we hear that, and even the most spiritual among us, in the right circumstance, in the right conditions, we have a tendency in the back of our mind to say, I don't know what I'm going to do if God doesn't do what I'm asking him to do. I don't know how I'm going to praise him if God doesn't do what I, what I want him to do. See, we think we get to determine what the definition of good is. But I'm reminded by a friend who had a flat in front of Terry High School in August, and it was about 115 degree heat index. And if you were to ask him about his day in the moment, he just said, I'm having a terrible day. I've had a flat. I'm out here on the side of the road trying to fix it. But somebody that stopped ended up getting saved that day on the side of the road. And so I want you to understand that our perspective of good is so very limited. Can I say that to you again? Let that sink in. Our perspective of good is so what? It's so limited. We limit it to what feel. Here's what we limit it to. You ready? Now, this is going to blow, this is going to blow your mind. We limit it to those things that produce safety, comfort, and pleasure. It's a good day if I'm safe. It's a good day if I'm comfortable, and it's a good day if I am 
having pleasure, okay? So when you think about what they were going to say, now the same group that's saying, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed be the one who's come in the name of the Lord. In John 19, we find it's the same group that cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. So Jesus is riding up, and he's loving even them. And he's loving them, but listen, just the fact that he loves them doesn't mean it's going to save them because he said, what's going to happen? It happened in 70 AD. The city was circled. The walls came down, and they were ransacked because he said it was going to happen. And I want you to understand that as this thing unfolds, man, there's hope because Jesus loves all of us, and they're, they're going to shout, Hosanna now, but he's crying for them, even though soon they're going to be shouting, crucify him. Can you imagine loving somebody enough? That they're looking you in the face and they're saying, you know what, we want Barabbas to be. When the, when the authorities of the occupying government say, we can't find anything wrong with him, Pontius Pilate said, we've got to let him go. He didn't do anything wrong. The people would say, no, you can't let him go. You've got to crucify him. Well, I'll just beat him half to death and let him go. No, 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 you can't just beat him half to death. You've got to do that and crucify him. Can you imagine weeping because those people are going to miss the blessing of salvation? I can't. I can see myself laying in my bed hoping they would get punishment. And y'all making me feel awful lonely looking down at the carpet. Anybody else in the room could find, maybe just in your wildest imagination, see yourself thinking to yourself, you know, I hope they get what they got coming because they're about to torture me, and, but not Jesus. And so he loves all of us. But listen, we can have hope. I'm telling you, we can have hope because he loves every single one of us. And I'm telling you, that's not the case oftentimes in our lives. All right, let me move on if I can to Roman numeral four. Are you there? Everybody there with me? I hadn't lost anybody. How about young people check their eyes? We're at the finish line. We're going to circle the landing gear for just a minute, and then we're going to land this thing. Is that all right with y'all? Deep breath, everybody good? All right, here we go. Number four, write this thing. You know, we can have hope for, and I want you to write these two words, true freedom. We can have hope for true freedom, if you will write that. That's not in my notes, but I'm asking you to put it in yours. We can have hope for true freedom. Now, what happens in verse 42? Let's read. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it. We're talking about we can have hope for true freedom. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it. Jesus is crying over those who are going to say, crucify him. But then he says, if you had known. Now, now well, he's weeping because there's hope for freedom, but listen, we don't, let me just flesh it out. If you had known, he said, even you, especially you, especially you in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now, because you won't acknowledge them, they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when their enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you on every single side, close in on you. They'll cut off your food supply, your water. They're going to close in on you on every single side and level you and, listen to this, your children within you to the ground. And they won't even leave one stone on top of the other. And then he tells them why again. You see it in verse 44? Because what? You didn't know the time of your visitation. God had come down to you. God had rode into your town, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. God had wrapped himself in flesh so that he could show us what God is like. He could experience what we're like and then give his life for us. He couldn't die in, in, in the form of God in heaven. He had to wrap himself in flesh. And so he did that for me and you, and he came down, and, and Jesus said, and you missed it. And I wonder today if some of us in here have missed it. I wonder if some of us, if we think the things that make for our peace is church, church just going to church or behavior modification. Some of us think the way of peace is to stop drinking and be sober. Some of us think the way of our peace is to just do better, try harder. Anybody tracking with me? And Jesus is weeping because we've missed it. We've missed it. 
Some of us think that the way of freedom is 12 steps or 15 steps or five rules to put, in your, put into your practice to make yourself successful. Or some of us think the way of peace is thinking positive. And Jesus weeps when we miss out of the one thing that can bring peace into our lives, freedom, true freedom. And that is him. Let me tell you two quick things about the way of rescue, if you will, all right? So we can have hope for freedom. Why? Number one, Jesus provides freedom through peace with God. Write that in your notes. Little number one, he provides freedom through peace with God. Now, I'm going to tell you something here, and I'm going to ask you a question, but I want you to answer on the inside. Can you all do that? All right, you all are writing right now. As you finish up writing, all right, freedom through peace with God, I'm going to ask you a question, but please don't answer it out loud. You understand you have the capacity of getting it wrong, and I don't want everybody in your neighborhood to look at you, okay? All right, here we go. Here's the verse I want to share with you. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Jesus said, I'm going to make peace, but you're, you missed it. You're, you're going to miss it. And by the way, he's speaking about something that hadn't even happened yet. It's going to happen in the next few days for him, right? But he knows it. Therefore, listen to Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Justified means just as if I never committed. It's a courtroom term. It means that I committed the offense, I was guilty, but now I've been justified like I didn't do it. Having been justified by faith, we have peace. You ready for this? With who? God. How do we have that? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access into this faith, uh, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. We're able to stand here and rejoice, there it is, in the hope, there it is, of the glory of God. Now, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So this freedom by peace with God, let me ask you a question. Here's the question, you ready? Who did God save us from? When, when, when God sent his son into the world, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to the cross and died for our sin as the appeasement, as the peace offering, my question for you, person to person, is who did God save us from? See, there's a certain portion here think he saved us from the devil. And we'll say this. Uh, man, I'm so glad that God saved me from the devil. And I saw a bumper sticker one time. You guys aren't going to believe this. The bumper sticker said something along these lines. I'm going to go to hell when I die and take over hell, and me and Satan are going to have a great time, something along those lines. And my heart began to grieve because that person was, you know, I hoped maybe it was somebody else's truck, but anyhow, you feel like a person would take that off. But as I rolled up on it, I, I began to think about what that really means. There's a certain percentage of people in the world that have just tried to define hell on their own. And so they believe that hell's this great big party and that Satan's got his room down there and he's got like posters up in his room and he's got a bed, a little refrigerator in there with his favorite alcoholic beverages and that he listens to whatever music he wants and he does whatever he wants. And it's because they've never read their Bible's description of hell. Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven. And so they, didn't, they haven't realized that it's actually a lake of fire. And so they say, well, okay, maybe he's fire and the, world, and the lake's fire and he's fire and he's having a party. No, it's a place of outer darkness. You know what outer darkness means? It's complete darkness. You can't see your hand in front of your face. So literally what that means is let's just say that you died today and Jesus is not Lord of your life. You are going to find yourself reserved in a lake of fire and be for punishment for the rest of eternity. And the Scripture says it's so dark you can't see who's beside you or in front of you or to the left or right of you. All you know is it's full of souls that are weeping, crying, that thing we hate to do, and then something else, grinding their teeth. You ever just grind your teeth for fun? 
just grinding their teeth, grinding their teeth and crying and grinding their teeth. And there's no party, and you won't know if it's Satan beside you that's crying and grinding his teeth in the end or if it was the guy that lived beside you or your parent or your child that never received Jesus. You won't know. There'll be no party there. There'll be no thinking back to the good old days there, toasting the good old days there. And so it's why Jesus rode in not on a war horse, but on a donkey. He was going to make peace with someone. You know who's going to make peace with? God. Who did God save you from? You ready for this? From God. God saved you from his own wrath. Now, some of you are looking like, whoa, it's a little hard to get your mind wrapped around, isn't it? That somebody would love you so much that you offended their law, you broke their law, you did wrong against him, and then you sat down here on earth and felt like you didn't need to bow down to him or do what he wanted you to do. You just lived your life. And you did that, and you did that, and you had no hope of being saved. And I, and, I, and he came down, reached his pursuit, his paid for us, and brought us into a relationship with himself. And it's hard to ever imagine the one he, one he paid off, the one that he appeased, who received the offering was God. He's the just and the justifier. That's beautiful, friend. That's amazing that he loves you that much. And so today, I want you to say there's a way of freedom. We can have hope, man, because we can be. Listen, if I woke up this morning and you told me there's no hope for you to be right with God, I'm, I, what would you do? What would you do if there was no escape? What would you do if God only loved you enough to say, well, if you can do these 12 impossible things, you have hope of salvation? But he didn't. You see, we can have hope. Because Jesus Christ offers to whoever will receive him peace with the Father. Now, I don't know about you, but I love being able to transverse this life when I wake up in the morning knowing this. Every person that I lay my eyes on, I can tell with great confidence there's hope for you. I wish I could tell how many times I've had them tell me, you don't know what I've done. I said, I don't care. I don't even, I, it doesn't matter what you've done. I just know this. There's hope for you. And hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Peace with God. Secondly, Peace within our own hearts. Do you know sometimes the greatest prison you find yourself in is your own heart? Let me ask some of you that question again because I know that you're writing. Peace with God. That's what Jesus offers. Freedom. Peace from God. Secondly, peace through uh, freedom by peace within our own heart. Now, does anybody in this room know what it's like to be in a prison in your own heart? Of anxiousness, of anger, of bitterness, of unforgiveness. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced being in a prison in your own heart. Not being able to break free of the feelings and the emotions and the anxiety and whatever it is that's rocking your world. And well, I think we all can identify there, can't we? And here's what Jesus offers to me and you. In Matthew 11, 28 and 30, here's what he says, 28 through 30. He says this, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And listen to Jesus' promise. I'll give you rest. Now, did you know that you can be in prison? And when you're in prison in your heart, when you have anxiety, when you have unforgiveness, when you have uh, uh, chains of sin and addiction, when you're, you're locked into that, what happens is you may sleep 10 hours, 12 hours, but you still wake up without any rest because there's chaos in your heart. And Jesus said, what I offer you is peace that your job can't provide, peace that your spouse can't, that knight in shining armor can't provide, peace that having children can't provide, I can offer you peace that when the world around you is shaken, it's unshakable. And that's what Jesus says. He says, come to me. But then you read a little further in the same verse, and Jesus says, I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he, he reminds me of something that sometimes I forget. He says, for I am 
gentle. That's what Tina calls me, gentle. She said, there's not one gentle bone in my body. Gentle. You forget that sometimes about Jesus? Now, he's uncompromising. He's all-powerful, but he's... You know why that matters to you? You may not know it does, but let me explain. He could, if he so desired, break all of your appendages, your, both of your arms and your legs right now, put you face down on the floor, break your nose and leave you down there apparel. He could do that to you right now. He could do it right now, easily, no problem. Wouldn't even break a sweat. could do it to all of us right now in an instant and make us come to faith in Jesus. But he won't because he is gentle. He sits you in a padded chair, and he brings you here for whatever reason. Somebody invited you. You came for a baptism. I don't know why you're here. I just know that you're here, and I know that God was using something to woo you because he's gentle. He won't put you in the headlock. He won't break your arms and legs. He'll just gently knock at your door, and he'll woo you. Come to me. Come to me. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to keep that unsettled heart. You don't have to live in enmity with God. You don't have to have a storm raging in your heart and mind every moment of every hour of every day. Come to me. But he won't force you because he's gentle and lowly. Oh, I wish somebody today would hear the gentle call of Jesus and receive what he promises in John 14 and 27. Would you read this verse with me as it comes on the overhead? John 14 and 27. Okay, here it is. And I want you to just read along with me. If you, you can read it out loud with me if you'd like to. Here we go. You ready? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be. That's what Jesus said. Come to me, he said. Hope for freedom. Through peace with God and peace within your own heart. Jesus can do it. Nobody else can. I want to close with this and we're going to go to a good prayer. Here it is. You ready? We can have hope because Jesus provides freedom to whoever will trust him. I want to read Psalm 40 and verse 1. So don't pack your stuff up, right? Well, I'll tell you what. Go ahead and pack your stuff because that makes a little commotion. If you'll pack your stuff up, set it to the side. I want to read these verses real quick and then we're going to go right into prayer. Listen to the verses. Psalm 40. As the praise team makes their way up, listen with me, all right? Hurry, put your stuff up fast as you can. Well, I took a gamble right there. I lost half of you. Look up here with me, okay? Look up here with me. I'm going to wait on you to get still and look up here with me. I know supper's, I mean, lunch is waiting. And look up here with me. I want, <clears throat> I want you to think about where we're closing here. We can have hope. We can have hope. It doesn't matter the hopeless situation, the diagnosis, the relationship, the finances. We can have hope. We can. Listen to me. We can have hope. Because of Jesus. And what I want you to understand is that we talked about in the end, having peace with God and peace within ourselves. How does it happen? Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. Here's what he said. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. And he heard my cry. I want you to think about that. And he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And I want you to just kind of pause and think about what he's saying. The psalmist is saying, I called out to him. And what he offered me, I was down in a pit, and I was in a miry clay. I couldn't climb out. I tried, I tried, I tried alcohol. I tried relationships. I tried work. I tried, I tried eating. I tried all kinds of stuff. And I couldn't find rest and peace for my soul. And I was in this horrible pit. And I struggled and struggled. But I put a nice face on, and I functioned in life. But there was no peace and no rest in my soul. And I felt like I was in this pit. And I'm climbing, I'm climbing, I'm climbing. And my feet are sinking down deeper the harder I 
try to get out, the deeper I sink, and I feel helpless and hopeless, and life seems like it has no meaning. I feel like I'm doing the same thing every day over and over again, and I'm not really accomplishing anything of lasting value, and I'm in this horrible pit, and yet here's hope today, because if I'll call out to him, he'll incline toward me, and he'll hear your cry, and he'll pull you up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set your feet upon a solid rock. And the rock has a name. And he is the rock Christ Jesus. And I want to promise you something that you know, and that is that everything else is sinking sand. You've tried it. Listen, there's some of you in here. You've not yet tried Jesus, and I don't know why, because you've tried everything else under the sun. You've even tried church, and ain't none of it helped. And what I'm offering you today is to consider and to give opportunity to Jesus. Call out to him. You'll find he's been waiting on you. And if you call out to him today, he'll reach down in that pit. How do you know, preacher? I've been there. And he'll put your feet on the solid rock. You know what it says? And then he'll establish your steps. Do you know what that means? Well, I had a guy come to me not too long ago. And he said, you know, my life is really, and I'm saved. And I, God's brought me out of pity, saved me. And I, I just, but I'm not having any joy. And he said, you were talking about joy. And I'm not having any joy. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about, you know, what's going on in your life. He said, well, he began telling some situations in his life some specific sins that he was struggling with, but he was kind of convincing himself were okay. and He knew they weren't. I, I wasn't, you know, behavior modification. He was telling me it's interesting that we always kind of talk about those things. And he's saying, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. And I said, well, you know, um, yeah, he did pull us out of the pit and put us on a solid rock, but the next part is that it says he established my steps. And that means, child of God, you don't get to establish your steps. Now, that phrase, establish my steps, means decide where I'm going. See, when, he, when God decides where you're going and points you in a direction, the ground is level and it's solid and you're able to walk on it. Now, you're going to be some trials and tribulations, but you're going to stay rock solid because that's where he leads. But your flesh is going to constantly want to tell you, turn left here, turn right there. Oh, look over there at that shiny thing. Look at that. Boy, that looks fun. Let's go do that. So some of us have experienced the salvation. He's reached down and pulled us out of the pit of miry clay. But, boy, we've wandered from circumstantial, you know, something didn't go the way we thought it should. Or, you know, we got hurt, our feelings hurt, life is hard because we're down here in fallen people in the fallen world. And we blame God and we blame the people of God. And people even blame the church. It's unbelievable. And we let that happen. And now our steps have not been established. Or, let me say it this way, we've established our own steps. And by doing that, we're missing out on what he paid for. Is, am I making sense to you this morning? See, he paid for the whole thing. When I was a kid, there was a, a meal you got at, at Dairy Queen called a full meal deal. Did anybody in here know about the full meal deal? You, had to, you got ice cream. I mean, boy, it was unbelievable what you got. And Jesus paid for the full meal deal. He didn't just pay for you to get to go to church. He just didn't pay for you to go to heaven. He paid for me and you to walk with hope. And freedom, hope, because we can have freedom in Jesus' name. And that's what he bought. And some of us have settled for something so much less. And I know it grieves the heart of our master. Because he bought for us something so much more. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. Just as humble as I can, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Will you do that? Just bow your head and close your eyes. I want to say that uh, the altar's open. I don't want to get into a rush here. But I believe there's some brothers and sisters that may just need to come down the altar and pray for people to be saved. I wonder if there's anybody here that would be willing to do that. Just leave up out of your chair and come down. Just ask God to save souls, to take the blinders off their eyes, to shine the light of Jesus in their heart. Would y'all pray that with me? Well, sure is encouraging to see so many young people getting up and leaving, youth coming down to the altar. And 
I love seeing all these men down here. Glory to God. Just some folk willing to be a little uncomfortable and come down the altar and just began to pray. Somebody today would put their whole hope, their whole hope for freedom in Jesus, not in any other thing, in Jesus. Would y'all pray that with me? Just pray that they would put their whole hope in Jesus. Now, maybe you're sitting out there. Maybe you're listening out there. Y'all are not just praying for the people in the room. We're praying for those who are at home and those at the nurse's station and, and the captain's room and those in their patrol cars and different places. We're praying for you too right now. We're praying for you right now. And my offer, my, my hope is that today you'd make Jesus the Lord of your life. You'd do it right where you're seated or driving down the road. You'd do it with your eyes open. You don't have to be in a church building. Right now where you find yourself, you may be cutting the grass today, listening to this on podcast, and did you know that right now you could talk to God, and he knew you were going to be listening to it when you're listening to it, and today you could invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. You could do it right where you're at. Now, I wonder, as these are praying at the altar, and there are many of us here today, I wonder if there's anybody in the room that would say today, you know that God's dealing with you about that, and you've not made that right, and today you feel as if maybe God's calling you to invite Jesus to be Lord. Now, nobody's looking around. I'm not going to call you down to the front. You ought to have learned that by now. I'm not going to ever come find you. If you're here today and you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you just to raise your hand, and I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to call your name. I see you there. Just slip your hand right up and right back down. I see you there and back there in the back, and God bless you there. And so we're praying for you right now, that you'd settle that, that you'd wave the white flag, that you'd invite Jesus in, that you'd believe that he died for you and rose again, that you'd believe in such a way you'd surrender, and you'd turn it over to Jesus. And all the joy, I'm telling you, listen, doesn't mean life's going to be easy now. It just means you've got a different power source. And so, Father, I pray now in Jesus' name, you move and that people that need to join this gathering quit procrastinating and join this gathering. I pray for the people who need to be saved, quit procrastinating and today be saved. I pray, Father God, for the one who's here today and has listened to the lies of the enemy and has began to doubt your goodness because of something they've heard from the doctor, from a coworker, from their parent, from their wife, from their husband. I pray in Jesus' name that we come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is ultimate authority. And your love for us is greater than we even can imagine. So please, Lord, please, in this last little bit of time we have, would you move, would you call people to respond and help them to have courage and not be ashamed? So, Lord, would you move now, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.